Good morning. <coughs> it's good to see your smiling faces this morning. It is the day that the Lord's made and we rejoice and we're glad in it. And we're glad for his word this morning. Let's quiet our hearts and uh, look to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we're coming together today to worship you. And we're thankful that your word, your holy word, is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. You use your word to reveal to us the very thoughts and the intents of our hearts. And Father, today we come before you needy. We need more of, of Jesus. So we're asking that you would use your word this morning to encourage us to follow him more closely with every new day. Uh, Lord, we pray that uh, you would anoint our hearing, that you would anoint my lips. I would only speak what you have for your children to hear today, and they would receive it all. So let your spirit superintend all that we do this morning. And for this, we're going to give you praise, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm in Romans chapter 12. Uh, we're going to look at the first 21 verses today. Those of you who know me scoff at that, that I'll never get through 21 verses. And the reality is that this will not be exhausted because if it was, you would be exhausted before I was done. Uh, there's just hours and hours and hours and hours of truth in these 21 verses of practical living for us. So I want to read it through first so it begins to get into your mind. And Brother Frank said he would get it up on the screen. Uh, in uh, CMA fashion, I'm in the New International Version this morning. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve, and if it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. Give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. May God bless the reading of his word today. Now let me ask you, how many of you here believe that God has a plan, that God has a will, his will for your life? 
How many of you believe that? How many know what God's will is for your life? How many of you, if you knew what God's will was for your life, that you would do it? These are some, these are some very pointed questions. And the reason why I ask that is because uh, in my life as a pastor, so many people came up to me and they said to me, Pastor, I just want to be happy. God, in his will, wants you to be holy. Notice what Paul says. And, and I wish I had the opportunity to go through the first 11 chapters with you because it might give a greater bearing to what we're, what we're going to say here. But Paul writes, therefore, that's because of everything that he said in what we call those first 11 chapters. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. Now, if we had time to read through chapter 11, we would read about God's election or selection of you. God in his mercy has chosen you to be his child. Is that good news today? God's chosen you. You are unique. God wants you to pay attention to him. In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This idea of living sacrifices, if you go back into uh, Leviticus, uh, it's talking about these, uh, the, the, the sacrificial law. And if you go back into Leviticus chapter 1, what we call chapter 1, it talks about the burnt offering. The burnt offering there was a symbol for the person who was making it for total dedication for total consecration. Lord, I belong to you. No one else. Lord, I'm yours wholly, fully, completely. That's what the burnt offering was. Well, that's what Paul's picturing here when he says, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies now as living sacrifices. He's not talking about a dead sacrifice, an animal being burned up on an altar. He's talking about you living for him in everything you do. That's what's being pictured here. Uh, offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy. God's will for you is to be holy. That means that you are set apart for his purpose. If you look back in Psalm 86, and I'm not going to take time to be flipping back and forth, but you can make a note, Psalm 86 probably verse 10 or 11 there. Uh, David says, Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I might revere your name. Uh, give me an undivided heart. Give me a heart that's set on you, that's focused on you. Let me see very clearly, Lord, that I'm yours fully, wholly, completely. Holy and pleasing to God. So you're offering your body to God. Holy literally means to be set apart for God. Lord, I'm yours. Lock, stock, and barrel. Lord, I'm yours. Uh, this is where knowing the will of God for your life and doing the will of God for your life can be very, very challenging. Uh, yesterday, one of the young ladies from the West Pittston Church got married down in Hershey. Uh, we have a van, so we were part of the, the, uh, the carpool that was heading down there. And I had a, a young father riding shotgun with me. His girls have both grown, and uh, he was saying to me he's struggling because he wants the best for his girls, but he doesn't want to pray for it because he feels that that's a selfish prayer. 
that uh, that he's asking God for, for, for something selfish. So I kind of uh, indirectly said, well, you need to pray for, for God's will. Now, he, he was... He was my captive, or I was his captive for, for hours, so, so I don't know who was who. But it finally got to the point after I listened to him for a while that I said, let, let, me, let me tell you what I went through. Uh, I accepted Christ when I was 20. When I was 21, the Lord put a call on my life for full-time service. Uh, I really didn't want to go into full-time ministry. I had a very good understanding of what pastors go through. That wasn't something that I wanted to do. But I was an elder in this church. I was the church secretary. I taught Sunday school here. We had a Bible study in our home every Monday night. Every Saturday morning, I was at the state prison teaching the Bible. We had a men's quartet that went out from this church, gospel quartet. Uh, we did uh, probably about 70 concerts a year. Uh, I was involved as an officer in the County Evangelistic Association and the County Sunday School Association in the Federation of Men's Bible Classes. And I'm saying to God, look at all the good things that I'm doing. Can't you accept that? They're all good things. And you know what God said? No. That's not my will for your life. That's our reality. God does have a plan. He does have a will for us. And it's a whole lot better than anything that we could ever possibly want. So at 41 years old, I headed back to Bible school. And I thought I'd get buried by all these young ones. But the Lord was gracious. He is, he is making it very clear. He wants our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing. Lord, I'm set apart to do whatever it is that you want me to do. That's what's pleasing to God. When we say, okay, Lord, I'll do it. And the Lord confirmed that when I left a very good job at that point and went into ministry full time. I went through a four-year Bible school course in a mere seven years. The two years that I was supposed to take to be ordained only took me nine. Why? Well, because we were working through a lot. But the Spirit of God was working through it with us. Notice he says, this is your spiritual, this is your spiritual act of worship. When you're giving your heart and your life to Christ and you're saying, okay, Lord, I'm going to do whatever it is that you want me to do, no matter how fearful I might be, this is your spiritual act of worship. A lot of times we think worship is when we sing. Uh, that can be worship, sure. But the reality is that every moment of your day, should be a spiritual act of worship as you're living in the will of the Lord Jesus Christ. Does that make sense to you? Worship is actually counting God's worth to you. It's counting God's, God's worth to you. When Dan's cutting somebody's, somebody's head, somebody's hair, that's an act of worship if he's doing it for the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Well, I've got him captive in this chair. Now I can tell him about the good things of the Lord Jesus. There's all these things that can, can take place. All these things that, that, that can happen. You don't have to be in, in full-time ministry to be worshiping the Lord in what you do, moment by moment and day by day. Now notice he says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Uh, so many young people are told you need to go to college, you need to get a good job that pays a lot of money so that you can have a good life. Is that what the scripture's teaching us? Don't conform 
to the pattern of this world. Uh, Frank talked about the O'Connors over at Mongolo Hospital. Uh, they could be making fabulous money somewhere. They're not. They're missionaries for the Lord Jesus Christ. They're storing up treasures in heaven. Steve and Elise Straw. Uh, Steve could be a pilot for some airline uh, making a fortune. But instead, he's a missionary aviation pilot. As a matter of fact, for a number of years, he went out and bought his own plane so he could, he could do this to make an impact, to make a difference. This is this spiritual act of worship that we're talking about. We need to get our, our minds fixed on the person of Christ. In John 17, Jesus prayed for us. He says, Lord, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. We need to come to grips with the fact that we're being pressured into thinking the way that the world thinks. we got to stop that. You know how we stop it? We stop it by washing our minds through the Word. Notice what he says. Don't be conformed to the to any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, that word, uh, transform there, Greek word there is metamorphosis. One of the best pictures of metamorphosis is that caterpillar who spins this cocoon around himself and the substance of that caterpillar actually liquefies. And then it turns into something altogether different. And before you know it, it struggles to break out of that cocoon and flies away as a butterfly. That's what's being pictured for us here. We need to have this transformation that takes place by the renewing of our mind. We need to get into the Word of God and we need to say, okay, I'm going to live my life according to the pattern of God's truth. We need to know the Word. And we need to live the Word. If we get into the Word, the Word of God will get into us. And we'll begin to think differently, we'll begin to speak differently, and we'll begin to act differently. Is that good news? This isn't something beyond us, dear ones. This is something that we can, we can do. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. There is no better place to be than in the center of God's will. Uh, when I was leaving the, the business, uh, the two guys that were in charge, the one guy said to me, you have a sick wife. How are you ever going to take care of your wife on a pastor's salary? And there were so many times that I was carrying Judy into the hospital in the middle of the night and she was near death. From the time I was willing to be obedient to the will of God, that was all gone. No more was I carrying her into the, into the hospital in the middle of the night. The other fellow, he was the church treasurer of his church. He said to me, do you know how much they pay pastors? Not too much. But the Lord never failed to provide for anything that we needed. This is what it is to be in his will, to know his good and pleasing and perfect will. I said to that father yesterday, you want to pray for your daughters to be in the center of God's will. Then they can have lives that are fulfilling, lives that make them happy. They won't be dragging themselves off to work day by day saying, I hate this. God's going to do something through their life 
that's going to make an impact, that's going to make a difference, and they're going to say, I love this. This is all that I ever wanted. Now notice he says, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. God has apportioned to each one of us the measure of faith we need to embrace him as our person of salvation. Repent of our sin and accept him. He gives every human being that measure of faith. Will they use it? Don't think that you've accomplished something great. Understand that God has given you everything that, that you got. A measure of faith. What's faith? Very good, Glenda. Very good. Going back to Hebrews. She's saying, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is to your spirit what your muscles are to your, to your, to your body. If you want your faith to grow, there needs to be some resistance. There needs to be some tension. About 40 years ago, there was this songwriter by the name of Andre Crouch. And he wrote this song, Through It All. Through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. If I never had a problem, I'd never know that God could solve them. I'd never know what faith in God could do. Our reality is that God brings tests into our life to teach us lessons and grow our faith. That's our reality. He's trying to make that very clear here to us. So he says uh, that we should think of ourselves in a way where we understand that everything that we have, we have in Christ. We don't have it in ourselves. We're not so smart. We're not so strong. We're not so powerful. We're just the opposite. If you go back over into 1 Corinthians 1, Paul makes that very clear. We weren't called in that way. We were called in weakness. We were called in dishonor. But Christ has something powerful, something positive for us. Now, he goes on in verse 4. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, uh, your hands, your feet, your eyes, uh, it's not all the same function, but it's all the same body. You hurt your body. Notice he says, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. This building is not the church. Where's the church? Sitting in the chairs. Yeah, you're the church. The building is where the church meets, where the church assembles. You're the church. And notice he says here, that you are members of one another. You belong to all of the others. <coughs> There's nobody within the church body that is not needed for the church to function. Uh, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith and so on, teaching, encouraging, contributing, leadership, mercy. Uh, flip back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I want you to see something. I didn't know anything about gifts until I started coming into, into the Alliance Church. And I started to learn about gifts. Let me begin in verse 4. It says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service. The Greek word there for service is uh, diakona. Uh, but the same Lord. So that's referring to Jesus having gifts of service. Uh, there are different kind of workings but the same God. He's talking about God the Father. 
workings there in the Greek is energema. Workings. Uh, energema. What word do you suppose in English uh, that sounds like? Energema. Energy. Yeah. Uh, there are different kind of workings, but the same God works all of them and all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Manifestation there in the Greek is the word phanerosis. These are three different classes of gifts. Uh, Paul talks about them all. He talks about them all in, in different places. The manifestations of the Holy Spirit, they're going to be here in 1 Corinthians 12. The diacona of service of Jesus is going to be found in Ephesians chapter 4, where he talks about the gifts given to edify, to grow up the, the body of Christ. Here in Romans, he's talking about the workings of the Father, the energizing of the, the Father. This becomes important for you to understand. Uh, generally, I would take groups on weekend retreats to go through these seven gifts. There's about 14 hours of teaching here uh, to help you understand it fully. But just let me say this. These seven gifts, these seven gifts are what the church needs to see things the way God, God sees them. Every church board should have at least seven people on it, each one having one of these gifts so that they can see things the way God, God sees it. If you've ever sat on a church board, you know that people have different views of things. And everyone believes that their view is the right view. Uh, I would often sit with church boards and listen to the back and forth between folks. And then I would say to them, well, can somebody be right here? Yes. Can everybody be right here? No. So then I'd give them a little exercise to do. I'd say, okay, I want you to go outside the building and I want you to, to describe to me what the building looks like from that view. And I want you to go out and I want you to stand on this side of the building and I want you to give me a description of the building from that side. And then that side and then that side. And I said, we're going to get a skyhook and we're going to lift you up and you're going to tell me what the building looks like from above. And I said, who's right and who's wrong? And lo and behold, they would come to the conclusion that they would all be right. And I said, well, how can that be? They can all be right because they're looking at it from a different perspective. These gifts, and you will have one of these gifts. Every single believer will have one of these gifts. It's God's way of helping you to see things his way. But you know what needs to happen? As a body, you need to talk. And you need to come to understand that this is the whole picture. I only had a piece. Frank's in construction. When you're constructing a building, you have a blueprint. The blueprint is a flat sheet of paper. How can you tell what that, what that building is supposed to look like? Well, on that flat sheet of paper, you have various plan views. You know what the plan views do? They help you to see something that's one-dimensional in three dimensions. Oh, my goodness, how does that work? But that's what God does with these gifts. He helps you to see things his way. Uh, these gifts cause a lot of problems for couples, husbands and wives, because it causes them to see things differently. And you know, husbands and wives, when you see things differently, one of you has to be right and the other has to be wrong. Isn't that how it goes? <laughs> but that's not the reality. 
a lot of times when I'd take groups away and I'd do teachings on these, I had one fellow one time come up to me, and, and I would generally take them in the order that they were given here. And you notice that prophecy is the first one and mercy is the last one. And during one, the first session, I was talking about the various aspects and, and attributes and characteristics of a person who has this gift of prophecy. And I just happened to mention that a lot of times God in his wisdom will partner with the person who has a gift of prophecy, a spouse who has a gift of mercy. Do you know why? Prophets, on the one hand, everything's black and white. Mercy, on the other hand, everything is just shades of gray. Why does God put them together? To balance the other one out. But if they don't understand that, they're constantly fighting, thinking that the other is just, just a lunkhead who doesn't understand anything, who can't ever see anything the way it, it truly is. That's not the reality. You need to understand that. So you really need to understand all these gifts. You need to understand their characteristics. You need to understand how to exercise them. And dear one, you need to be very careful about saying, Lord, help me to see things the way you want me to see them. Because every one of these will give you a different perspective on a situation that God wants you to see. God's doing that not to drive you crazy. He's doing it because he loves you and he wants you to have the whole picture. Does that make sense to you? That was pretty weak. Notice. Okay, we're not doing too bad. Love must be sincere. This is agapeo. Agapeo means that you seek for the other's highest good. You're seeking for the other's highest good. When you truly love someone, you say, I'm going to put them ahead of me. Agapeo, this is God's type of love. Did God put you ahead of himself? For God so loved the world that he what? He gave his only begotten son that if you would believe in him, you wouldn't perish, you wouldn't be eternally ruined, but you would have everlasting life. Is that good news? Love must be genuine. It must be real. It must be sincere. It's seeking for the other's highest good. It's saying, okay, Lord, I'm putting you first. I'm putting my spouse ahead of me. I'm putting my children ahead of me. I'm putting my church family ahead of me. A Saturday's a test for us. You know why? Because it's a church cleaning day. Oh, my heavens. We want George to, to do it, don't we? The old Amish hymn goes like this. There's work for the hands and there's work for the heart. Something to do, something to do. And each should be busy performing his part. There's something for all to do. There's work for the aged like me. There's work for the young like you. There's work for us all and excuses for none. There's work for the feeble like me. There's work for the strong like you. There's something for all to do. Love must be real, genuine, sincere. Now notice in this, this is what it's, what it's going to look like, this real love. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. That's how that looks. We hate evil. We hate the wrong stuff. And we hang on to the things that are good. Uh, we sat at a table at the reception with a couple that uh, we had just met. And the one thing that we could agree on very quickly was that our society is a real mess. Lots of evil going on in our society today. That's not what the Lord has for us. Not the evil of the world around us. We need to cling to the things that are good, that are godly. Things that, that honor Him. 
Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Uh, here's where the Greek is uh, a little bit more helpful. Uh, this is the Greek word phileo. It's not quite as intense as seeking the other's highest good, but it's that the brother is always there for you. Uh, we're missing Jason. He's, he's looking at another church family, a little bit more uh, liturgical. But a lot of times when I go to get what little hair I have left cut, uh, Jason, Dan's brother, will be there and will have opportunities just to share. Closeness. This is what the body is supposed to be. Closeness. We're in that, we're in that place where we're concerned about one another. Notice he says, honor one another above yourselves. So you're giving a greater honor to those around you. Oh, you need help today? How can I help you? What do you need me to do? <coughs> Excuse me. He says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. As a retired pastor, sometimes I get antsy that I don't get enough opportunities to be about the Lord's business. Uh, I don't know if it's just that we're old that we get a lot of these telemarketers calling or whether you youngsters get them too. But it's gotten to the point where looking for opportunities just to witness for the Lord. When the phone rings and I don't know who's calling, I'll pick up the phone and say good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is. You've reached the office of good news. Do you know Jesus? And if it's a, telegram, a, a, a telemarketer that the Spirit of God is working on, I'll get a chance to tell them about Jesus. We need to understand that there needs to be this spiritual fervor. Lord, how can I serve you? Lord, what can I do to make you, to make you known? Uh, serving the Lord. Now notice how this works. Be joyful in hope. That's what this, this looks like. Be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction. I struggle with that. I'm not real patient in anything, let alone patient in affliction. But the Lord puts me through tests. He says, be faithful in, in prayer. Uh, this is something that... Uh, that we can all do. There's no one. There's no one who cannot pray. You don't need some fancy language. You don't need some special words. You need a heart that's open to, to God's spirit. You need to say, Lord, let me connect with you. Let me draw close to you. Lord, hear my, my heart cries. Share with God's people who are in need. Now, there's a lot of Christians who are in need. At the church up in West Pittston, we had people there who were living on less than $500 a month. Imagine living on less than $500 a month. I said to the board, you need to do something to take care of these people. They're part of the body. You need to do something. They had the, the clothes closet there. They had uh, the food pantry there. During the summer months, there was a, about a six-foot plot of land at the end of the parking lot that was 110 feet long that got planted with all kinds of vegetables so that the people who had need could have fresh, fresh produce. We need to be willing to do whatever it takes to meet the needs of God's people. Practice hospitality. Practice loving on one another. Uh, if you've ever had instrumental lessons, You've probably heard the teacher say to you, practice makes perfect. Well, it never worked for me. But you know what practice does do? 
It makes permanent. The more you practice anything, the more permanent it becomes in your life. I don't know that it becomes perfect, but it becomes permanent. Practice hospitality. This is what you do as a family. This is how you live together as a family. Uh, Pastor Chuck talked about that last week. We missed that. We were out in St. Louis last week. Now notice, he's beginning to shift gears here. This could be for either, hopefully not the church, but for the world around you. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. How many of you here just love to give some good glowing report about somebody who's just been hassling you and making you feel terrible? Is that the natural way that we operate? If somebody is ripping into us, do we just go around and speak well of them? <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> That's exactly what we're to do in Christ. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Um, when I was in, in industry, I got plenty of razzing from everybody all over. It was the construction industry. If you're familiar at all with construction workers, their language isn't uh, the nicest language. Uh, generally, I would have men, when they were finished with their job, they would, uh, they would call on the phone and they'd say, I'm done on this job. Where do you want me to go? Such an opening. And I would always say to them, I want you to go to heaven. <laughs> Looking for those opportunities. So naturally, I got labeled. Bible thumper, Jesus freak, on and on and on. But you know what? These guys that were so tough on me, when they, when they had problems, and usually I would close up at night. When I had problems, they would wait for everybody else to go, and then they'd come into the office and they'd say, uh, I got this problem, would you pray for me? Now an hour before, they might have been ripping into me like, like crazy. But when nobody else is around, they're saying, would you be willing to pray for me? Bless. Bless and don't, don't curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. You're connecting with people where they're at. If they're rejoicing about something, if they're excited about something, hey, I got a new job, hey, I got a new, I got a new baby, whatever it might be, you're rejoicing with them. And you mourn with those who suffer loss. There's a lot of loss going on today. I know Sue will be dealing with the loss of her son and the anniversary will be coming up. We need to mourn with Sue. We need to love on Sue. We need to do what we can do to encourage her. Live in harmony. Well, we're not going to make it. Live in harmony with one another. It doesn't say live in unison. It says live in harmony. Uh, those of you music scholars, what's harmony? What's harmony? Yeah. They're, they're singing together. They're singing different lines of music. And it makes it sound so much fuller, so much greater. We're to live in harmony with one another. We're not all singing the same note. We're not all doing the same thing. But whatever it is that we're doing, it's complementing each of the other. That's how we're to live. That's how we're to live in Jesus. That's what God is expecting of us. He goes on and he talks about these, these various things. And dear ones, the outline that I gave you was an inductive outline. So you can work through that as you have opportunity. But I want you to understand that as the body of Jesus, God has expectations of us. As the body of Jesus, you and I are to be living like Jesus. Jesus. 
not conforming to the world. We're to be doing His will, even when it's hard, even when we're afraid of what God's will might be. Lord, please don't send me to Africa, as the song goes. He loves you so much that He gave Himself for you. He's saying to you, do you love me enough to give yourself to me? Lots here in a short time. I brought an illustration that I'll close with, just because it's kind of neat. Don and Katie Fortune in their book, Discovering Your God-Given Gifts, illustrates these gifts that I talked to you about before. Suppose you have seven people over for dinner, and each just happens to have a different motivational gift. You're bringing three salad plates to the table when one slips from your grip and crashes to the floor, scattering bits of glass and salad in one big mess. How will each person react? The prophet will say, that's what happens when you try to carry too many plates. The server will say, I'll clean it up. The teacher will say the reason you dropped that plate was it wasn't balanced properly. The exhorter will say, next time let someone help you carry the plates. The giver will say, I'll be glad to help you make another salad. The mercy giver will say, don't feel embarrassed, it could have happened to anyone. The administrator will say, John, get the broom and dustpan. Sally, bring the mop. Marie, help me to make another salad. All of the different ways that God's gifting to you, God's energizing to you, makes a difference. Two challenges this morning, dear one. If you're here today and you've never repented of your sin and accepted Jesus as your person of salvation, that's step number one in giving your heart and your life to Christ. First challenge. Second challenge is this. Lord, I want to know your will. And if you show me what your plan, what your will is for my life, I'll be willing to do it. Let's bow our heads before the Lord. Spirit of God is here. He's looking for you to reach back to him. He's been reaching to you. Lord, I pray for these dear ones this morning. Father, I would ask that you would encourage them to truly be in a right relationship with you, not conforming to the demands of this world, this life, but, Lord, allowing your spirit to lead, to guide, to direct, to bless, to encourage, to do whatever would be needed to help them become the person that you want them to be. Lord, you hear their heart crying to you right now. Father, help them to respond. Is there one here this morning who has never accepted Jesus as their person of salvation but realized this morning that God has too many great things for them to miss what God has for them? And you want to embrace Jesus as your person of salvation, but you need prayer and by the uplifted hand would say, Brother Don, pray for me. Is there one? Is there one here? Spirit of God is here, dear one. He's willing to, to help you. Is there one? Challenge number two. You're here this morning, and the Spirit of God is just churning in your heart right now. You want to know what His will is for your life, and you're purposing that whatever it is, that you will do whatever He asks. But you need prayer. Is there one by the uplifted hand who would say, Brother Don, pray for me? God bless you. God bless all of you with hands up. Are there others? Are there others? It's a holy moment, dear one. He has something greater for your life than you could possibly imagine. Are there others? Father, you see those that have reached out a hand to their Heavenly Father. And they're asking that you would help them, Lord. They're asking that you would allow your spirit to reveal to them what it is that you have for their life and then help them 
to follow in that way so that they could have your, your fullness in all that they do day by day. Lord, help these dear ones. Father, as they make this commitment to you this morning, begin to unpack for them those things that stand in their way, perhaps even good things, and help them to see fully all that you would have. Lord, help them to be all that you purpose them to be for your own glory. And in this we'll give you thanks. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, let your strength rise up in us even as we leave this building today. Lord, as a family take us out into various parts of this city, and Lord, help us to take the light of City Light Church out into these darker places that people would come to know Jesus. Encourage and bless each heart here this morning, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.